0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Local Youth Worker a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today I have Step Morgan with me. Uh, Step, welcome.
1: Thanks, John. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's it's good to have you. It's, it's fun to actually uh, know someone uh, who, who comes on the podcast. Oftentimes, i um, interviewing people that I might have met once or maybe not not even have met. I mean, just the, the last episode, I was talking to Chris Morphew, who's all the way in Australia. Um, haven't gotten to to meet him. To so to have someone who's in the Jackson area who attends the church I attend, attend, uh Pier Orchard Perez. It's it's good to, to see you and, and have you. Um, Step is the director of admissions at Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, his wife is Jessica, they have five children. Uh, he's in the process of uh, getting called to a church, um, and, uh, just going through that whole process of interviewing and waiting to see, uh, what the Lord does. Um, and step, I got you to, to come on the podcast today. Uh, some of our listeners may know who you are and may know a little bit about your story, but, um, I'd love for you to, to just share, uh, what, what you went through, uh, what your family ha- has been going through and, and step as I'm before we even get into this, how, how long has it been since this, um, the incident occurred.
1: Yeah, so it's been uh, one year. We just hit the one year mark, and uh, the the incident that we're speaking of is a mountain bike crash, which mm-hmm. led to the amputation of my lower left leg. And so the two anniversaries I've been anticipating were the anniversary of the crash and the anniversary of the amputation. Um, mm-hmm. But what I've realized in the last couple of days, so that that crash occurred on October 23rd and uh, my pirate birthday, as some amputees refer to it, uh, the the anniversary of my amputation was October 30th. So we've just Mm -hmm. passed those. But I had the opportunity yesterday to um, um, attend the meeting of the Presbyterian Mississippi Valley. And driving down, remembered being told that uh, last November, uh, when those men met for their November meeting, they paused um, their, their work on the business of Christ Church mm-hmm. to pray for me and to pray for my family. And um, wow. many of those pastors would go on to pray for many months and lead their congregations to pray and and lead their people to share financial burdens. And so, of course, I was Deeply moved by that. So I have realized um, it's not just one anniversary or two anniversary. I've just concluded a year of experiences and now apparently I'm entering a year of anniversaries as, mm. you know, as milestones come up. But yeah, it's been a year since the crash. Wow.
0: OK, I, I did not realize that as a, I mean, I, I was talking to step pre-recording of, you know, when I got to hear his his testimony and Jessica, they, they shared a testimony at our church. Um. was thinking, okay, well, I I want him to come on this podcast and and share a bit of his story and, uh, for, for others to hear, uh, the Lord's goodness in the midst of this difficult providence. But it's, you know, I can remember as you're saying that, um, I was at a flag football game Hmm. and somebody came up to me and said, you know, I heard step had a bike accident and, you know, I was just thinking, oh, wow. You know, hope he's okay, but did not realize the severity of it. And then someone else came up that that same night and said, no, I mean, this is this could be life or death. And I mean there was a group, I'm off the top of my head, maybe five or six of us, and we just stopped. I mean, flag like football is going on. We got in a circle and we started praying for you and praying for your family. And it's you know, as you're sharing that about the Presbytery, that that memory came back to mind. But um I know as we, we also were saying pre-recording this may be difficult to talk about. And so we'll want to be uh, sensitive to that want, want to welcome uh, tears as well um uh, again not realizing the significance of the time of this recording and just how it kind of aligns with some of these anniversaries and i guess maybe on a kind of humorous note you said your your pirate anniversary is that how you refer to it pirate birthday pirate yeah. birthday okay um is that is that how you like to refer to it or is that just i
1: think, I think it's fun yeah i think it's fun so okay. um <laughs> You know, folks ask me, are you, are you, uh, do you guys dress up for Halloween or anything? And I, you know, um, I don't, I don't really do the costume thing, but I've got a great costume now, so uh, (laughs) I can definitely rock a peg leg. That's for sure. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. Well, well, why don't you just back us up and, and, uh, share your story. Uh, let let us know kind of about the day and, and all that you and your, your family have gone through.
1: Yeah, of course. So, um, I have, been into mountain biking off and on over the last 20 plus years. And, um, um, the last few years have really gotten into it probably the most I ever have and, and love. I love being outdoors in general and, um, exercise for me is a great stress relief. And I've hit that point in life where I really need to exercise. And so, um, <laughs> mountain biking lets me be outdoors and it lets me, um, you know, take care of my health and do something I enjoy. And, and, um, you know, you wouldn't think in central Mississippi, there would be uh, much of an opportunity to mountain bike, but we actually have a really great little trail system, uh, here in Ridgeland and, and a fantastic community of riders, um, around those trails. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged in many, many ways. I I have a wonderful job recruiting students to Reformed Theological Seminary, and and, uh, it means I get to poke around behind the scenes and get to know our faculty and our administration and staff and students. Uh, But one of the things it means is I spend most all of my days with other Christians. And one of the sweet things about our writing community is while there are a number of believers there, it's also a place where I can... Uh, meet uh, people who uh, are not believers um, and um, and hopefully begin to share with them the hope that we have in Christ so there are lots and lots of reasons why I love uh, being on those trails and, and riding and being with my friends there and and um, so uh, one of the things that is a little bit of a drawback to mountain biking in central Mississippi is the type of soil that we have here is such that if we get a rain um, the trails have to be closed for a while until it dries out and, you know, late fall rain starts to pick up and, and, um, on the, uh, the night of my crash rain was forecast and it was a Friday and I had gotten off work about 15 minutes early and I, and I was kind of doing the math in my head and I realized, you know what? I could get in about a 30 minute ride before dark. And that's probably going to be my only chance to ride this weekend and, and maybe into the next week. So I got home, I was changing my clothes. I said to my wife, Hey, I'm going to go for a real quick ride and then I'll be right back home and we'll have family movie night. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turned out to be a quick ride, uh, but I did not come right back home. Uh, It would be over 15 days before I would return home. Uh, On my ride, uh, I. uh, i i was keeping a little goal i had set for myself Uh, during covid as was the case for all of us uh, around the country and around the world um, we were adapting to um, trying to figure out how do we carry on our work safely and many people had time off and so forth and so new features had been built on our trails um, in the previous months Um, and um, one set of new features was um, a little set of wooden platforms uh, called drops. And um, the the way you ride these things, you have a little bit of speed and and you're riding off a a wooden platform and you kind of fall away onto sloping ground. And when you use correct technique, the landing is very, very smooth because you're on a sloping ground. And so it just carries you forward down the hill. And um, these aren't huge drops, but um, the larger one was just big enough that I thought, you know, a guy could get hurt and I've got responsibilities at home and I've got responsibilities at work and and I I need to be someone who uses caution and and, uh, not be reckless. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to do the smaller of these two drops until I can just master it. And then I'll know that I can do a larger drop safely so I told myself to to master this skill I'm going to ride the small drop three times every time I come out here to the trails so the night of my crash I had already ridden the drop once and um and in fact I I had pretty much mastered riding that drop to the point that I would ride it very very aggressively and so my second time um, that night to ride the drop I was actually coming down a hill above the drop and i was carrying as much speed as i could through the curve to line up and hit the drop and so i was going very very fast um and as i'm launching off the drop my left foot came unclipped from my pedal so i use special riding shoes that have a little cleat that clips into a clamp on a pedal and as i was launching off the drop my left foot came unclipped and um and when i landed i landed left leg first and because i was going so fast that meant i flew farther out into the air and and, and consequently fell farther down before making contact again and when i did um the, the bones in my lower leg just immediately broke and uh and also became spear points um that did some damage uh, behind my knee, and um, remarkably, I was still on my bike, though thrown forward, and and so my handlebars were kind of up to my chest, and I'm. This is all happening, you know, in a span of a second, two seconds, and I ended up hitting a tree, and that's what stopped me. And uh, no other injuries from from hitting the tree or from anything else, um, except I could tell that my left leg was hurt very very badly and so called for help and um, there were when i um, started my ride noticed there were six or eight other cars in the parking lot we all knew this was our chance to ride this weekend so i knew there were plenty of riders on the trails somewhere nearby yelled for help and within a minute or a minute and a half other riders were at my side and uh, none of us had our phones so one rider stayed with me, another went to get our phones, and one called 911, one called my wife, Jessica, and uh, and we waited uh, for help to come. Um, I was about a quarter of a mile up the trail from the trailhead, and so an EMS crew arrived and they could hike up to me and start pain meds, but weren't able to get me out. We had to wait for the local fire department to bring an ATV that could could get me out of the woods, and so consequently, I was in the woods for about an hour before uh, we were able to begin the trip uh, to the trauma center. And
0: can can I interject? I'm just yeah. you know, as I hear that, I cannot imagine the amount of pain, um, and to think, okay, you're you're back there for an hour, and yes, when when uh, the paramedics came, they were able to give you pain meds. Do you remember much about? just that period where you're, I mean, waiting for a couple of minutes for the first riders to show up. And then once they get there and you're waiting, I mean, what, can you just describe that? I'm, I'm curious.
1: Yeah. So I actually, you may, not know this, John, I actually used to moonlight as an EMT, um, here in the area with Amlet uh, amulet service that served Jackson, Mississippi and a couple of surrounding counties. And so, um, I, I knew, um, that especially hitting that tree, I hit it square in the chest. I thought, man, I might have broken ribs and I might have broken clavicles. And so I'm palpating myself and like, this is remarkable. Like everything's good. And uh, as I'm laying there, uh, I'm just thinking if you can just hang in there until you get to the ER, hang in there until you get to the ER and then um you're going to be fine you know they'll take care of you and then you'll get some really good pain meds and it's going to you know just hang in there so I was praying Lord please um you know sustain me and but um but I also I I didn't understand the severity of my injuries I knew my leg was broken very badly um But I thought I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in the ER overnight. It's going to be a long night. And tomorrow morning I will finally be done and I'll leave with a giant cast. And this Sunday I'll preach from a stool. And man, that's going to be the biggest hassle ever. Uh, What I didn't know is um, the as I said, the bones had kind of become spear points and one of them had actually cut the artery, which feeds the lower leg. And I was bleeding to death i didn't even know it Uh, i thought i need help getting down the hill Uh, what i didn't know is like no i need help uh that will save my life i need someone to stop this bleeding and so uh yeah the pain was pretty intense and i have very clear memories of the first part of that hour and i have dim memories as the hour progressed because my consciousness was fading Um, i did remain conscious um you know, it's striking all the little providences, uh, all the little things that would appear to be by chance, but we know are, are, um, God's providence to us. As I was being loaded in the ambulance, I realized one of the, uh, one of the paramedics that had responded, um, with the fire department, it was actually a childhood friend. Mm. Uh, and it was, uh, sweet to have, you know, a familiar face there so yeah the pain was pretty intense and uh I, I i remembered after someone was sharing their memories of the night that uh, when the paramedic was able to hike up and uh and start an iv and start some pain meds uh, that i told him he was my new best friend <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man i can only imagine uh, and so i mean they come they, they give you the, the pain meds they get you out of the trails and you said that was about an hour um until yeah. you were actually in the hospital
1: that was until actually they had me in the ambulance and so about a 20-minute drive up to university medical center and ended up spending 45 minutes in the er um jess my wife had actually come to the trails one of the riders had said to her hey uh, step's gonna be okay but he, but he is hurt and you should probably come and so she actually hiked up the trail to me and she was with me in the woods. And, um, as they were getting me down the hill, um, one of the riders helped her find her way back down when she saw they were loading me in the ambulance, she took off because she knew she was not gonna be able to follow them. They were gonna be going very rapidly. And, and she wanted to be at the hospital as, as close to the same time as I arrived. And, and, um, so when she got there, uh, they told her, You're going to have to wait. It's going to take us about 20 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes to, to, to check out your husband, make sure everything is stable. And then we'll let you come back and see him. So she was watching her watch and you know, 20 minutes passes and 30 minutes passes. And she starts looking for somebody like, Hey, you told me I could come (laughs) back and, uh, and they bring her back and she's trying to find out what's going on and she's having trouble getting answers and and finally the lead trauma doc says um he's gonna have to go to emergency surgery in just a minute and we're gonna do everything we can and we'll try to save his leg and she's like and try to save his leg and try to save his leg what do you mean do everything you can and um so i had lost quite a bit of blood and um and that bleeding was not yet stabilized and so I was taken into emergency surgery and, um, that surgery, they were not able to to do quite as much as they wanted to do because they were having trouble keeping my blood pressure up because I'd lost so much blood, um, prior to even making it to surgery. And, uh, so that surgery went into the night, the next morning, they came to me and said, you're gonna have to have surgery again today. And, we're going to have to amputate your leg mid thigh, And they came back a little bit later and they said, actually, we have a surgeon who thinks he can perform a procedure that might allow us to save your leg. Um, and so this was a Saturday and I waited all day and I waited all day and I waited all day and, all day. and at eight o'clock that night, this vascular surgeon came in and he said, I'm so sorry, we were not able to do your surgery today, but, there were other trauma cases that came in and they were not stable and you were and we had to take them first and he said i'll tell you what i'll do i'll wait one more hour and if the operating room i need opens in the next hour i'll do your surgery tonight now this vascular surgeon we learned later had come to be involved in my case because during that 45 minute window that i was in the er he had been called the emergency room for a consultation on another patient and as he was leaving just as he's walking past the door of my room they're looking for a pulse in my left foot with a doppler stethoscope and a doppler stethoscope is one of the tools of his trade so he heard that very distinct sound and out of curiosity popped his head in to see what was going on and and so he involved himself in my case well on saturday night sure enough at nine o'clock the operating room that he needed he needed special equipment that was only available in one operating room that operating room opened and so they cleaned it and took me back and i came out of surgery about 12 30 or so just tells me and um, what he did in that surgery was he harvested a vein from my right leg and he created a bypass in my left leg to try to patch back together that damaged artery so that my lower leg could receive blood flow again. And so I have a left knee still. And it's because he was willing to do that surgery. And we learned that he had been there 30 hours um, and had just voluntarily involved himself in my case. So that's that's one of the more striking ways in which God provided, but there were numerous ways uh, that God provided in just a very striking way. So for a week, um, the surgeons tried to save my leg and the problem was, uh, they kept having to take me back for additional surgeries because muscle continued to die. What happened? Not only did I have the arterial bleed, but, uh, something called compartment syndrome set in with my leg. And that, um, that happens sometimes with broken arms or broken legs and the compartment or group of muscles um, pressure builds as uh, as swelling or or blood um, creates pressure within this uh, group of muscles and it cuts off blood flow and my lower leg had just gone too long without oxygen so they kept having to take me back and and remove uh, dead or dying tissue and so after a week um, the lead surgeon who is a brother in Christ and was very very kind and and uh very helpful to us um he came and said hey I have had each member of the faculty look at your case not just your file but come in the operating room with me and we're all in agreement you should amputate you've lost two of the four muscle groups that you will need to use your foot you'll drag it the rest of your life and so our recommendation is that you amputate. So a week after my crash, uh, my sixth surgery was the amputation of my lower left leg. Um, and it was, um, a very strange experience. Um, my initial feeling was relief because for that week where they were trying to save the leg, I had something called an, an external fixator. So a couple of steel bars holding my leg straight, they're attached to the leg via rods that are drilled into the bone. And so all day long, you have this weight pressing down on your injured body part and that was gone. Um, and so there was this relief and they told me, Hey, no surgeries, uh, for the rest of the weekend. I thought, man, I didn't know it, but this is the best weekend ever. No surgeries. (laughs) Uh, Uh, and so, um, uh, you know i had had so many surgeries over that week almost daily that i was very very weak um, you can't eat on the day of your surgery until well after the surgery and you lose blood and so um, on monday i felt great it's the best i'd felt uh, all the way through and and had was headed into the operating room for what i hoped would be the closure of my wound my final surgery um and um woke up from anesthesia and was told that uh, they had had to amputate a bit more due to infection and so that was my first uh, setback so all told um it ended up requiring 10 surgeries before they could close up the the surgical side and and uh, a little over 15 days in the hospital
0: Hmm. so so step when they come back to you and tell you the news that look we we've got to amputate. Um do you remember uh, the thoughts did you say can can I have a minute and you and Jessica uh, talked and prayed uh, just curious how, how that set in when you first heard that.
1: Yeah, I had been anticipating it. So I had um in addition to the vascular damage there was nerve damage as well. I had very very limited ability to to feel that foot um i, I some places i could feel very acutely I, it was normal feeling but i had very limited ability to move my toes and things and and i knew each time we had a surgery to remove more dying tissue i knew that it did not look very hopeful um but we have been praying earnestly and and as you mentioned before many many people had been praying for us um it was harder for jess initially than me because it it really did for me bring some relief both emotional psychological relief in that okay finally we know finally we have our answer whether i'll be able to keep the leg or not but also physical relief uh i mean it still hurts quite a bit when you have your leg amputated, but um it was a it, it initially it was a bit of relief from the other discomfort that I'd had. So um it was strange over the course of this journey to realize um how significant my wife's um sorrow and experience of the tragedy was and that we were not always tracking along in at the same points um, so it was very hard for her for me initially it was a relief and my sorrow would come later um, one of the things that i've not said uh, that also happened in those early hours um, i remember on that saturday morning when i'm first kind of coming to from the anesthesia from that first surgery um, uh, I remember experiencing just an incredible sense of assurance
0: mm.
1: of God's care. And my first thoughts were, I have faith, mm. and that means God's at work. Um, so I know most of the listeners of this podcast, this is RYM, Reformed Youth Ministries. Uh, most will be, will be very familiar with uh, Reform theology. But if there are folks who are new to Reformed theology, uh, one of the things that we understand the Bible to teach is that Our faith is uh, not of our own making. It is God who creates faith in us and nurtures that faith. And I realized that morning I have faith and that means God's at work and he's gonna shepherd me through this. And so there was, um, uh, I I can't describe the degree to which I was helped by uh, that sense of assurance and knowledge that God would care for us, whatever he was going to, Shepherd us through whatever he was going to uh, have us walk through. That he would be our constant provider and protector and defender, and that he would use this for his good purposes. So it was a it was a mix of thoughts and feelings when that moment came to make the decision to amputate for sure.
0: Hmm. Wow, that no, that's amazing to hear that. And you know, step as I as I hear you describing this, and as I think. <clears throat> you know, if, if I went through something like this, I, I would imagine, um, anger is going to be a, a, a part of this, this testimony that, I mean, there's a sense in which that's good, you know, that we're in a broken world and there's an anger that can be manifested towards just the curse of the fall and all of its effects upon us as, as humans. Um, but, but I thought too, just the, the anger that might come about you know, towards God, why, why did you let this happen? Um, I'd love for you just to to touch on that and talk about some of the, the wrestlings that that went on there.
1: Yeah. Um you know, it it's so I mentioned that that um my experience throughout this past year has not always synchronized with Jess's experience. Um and um the real emotional wrestling for me did not come until actually several months later. And, you know, as I reflected on that, I realized I always had some other physical goal that I was working on. There was always some other thing that was coming up. So initially it was a surgery and and then it was physical therapy and it was, um, you know, all these things. And so I was kept very, very busy and, and, and distracted uh, to be Frank. And it wasn't until, late in the spring when I began to be discharged by all of my um caregivers that I realized oh this is the new normal we've arrived we've gotten back the functionality that I'll more or less have that I began to really really um have to grapple with um the you know the the full cost. It was only then that I had a full accounting of what had been lost. And, um, in God's kindness, I, I have not dealt with anger as much as I have dealt with sorrow. So certainly there have been times when I have dealt with anger for sure. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, but I have a feeling there are probably others who have had an even greater struggle with anger. For me, it has been. just the deep, deep sense of sorrow over the loss and um, and over the pain. And so that has been the point of my grappling um, with God. And, and you know, it, it, it's, it's strange to tell the story because it, it is a tragedy. And, and if someone else has experienced this, I, I, I hope they would not hear me making light of it. It's, what has occurred to me is tragic and it's to be mourned and it's uh you know i i I told you before we started recording i had a good cry this morning um that's a pretty common occurrence for me and yet it's strange for me to tell the story because in some ways i've been spared from what makes a tragedy like this hard and so many people prayed for us and, and um and god was kind to me in such a way that um, I have had deep comfort um, to address that deep sorrow and uh, there were there were a couple of things that Jess and I sort of set as boundaries for ourselves right away we realized we cannot let ourselves play the what-if game we will go crazy Mm -hmm. if we say what if I hadn't gone on that ride what if this what if that Uh, you know what if I had You know had newer riding shoes or changed out my pedals or those kinds of things like we just can't we can't let ourselves do that and i think um i have tried to do that a little bit with the way that i grapple with um not understanding god's providence and i think that has helped with the anger as well of uh rather than uh demanding an answer or trying to understand why god would choose to use something like this when he could as easily use anything else. Um, in, in seminary, I, I would pray. So for years I would pray, Lord, make me useful. Lord, make me useful. This was not what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most passive thing I've ever done. I was thinking, you know, some great teaching ministry or some great, ministry. I didn't want to be the guy who, you know, had his leg amputated.
0: Hmm. Uh, hmm.
1: So, uh, I, I you know I have not tried to understand why God would do this and um, ha, have tried to acknowledge along the way that he is wiser than I am and um, and His word assures us over and over and the saints who have gone before us assure us over and over that he is good and he can be trusted. And so that's that's helped. I think those are things that have helped limit the anger that I've experienced.
0: Mm. Hmm. Again, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, as you're talking about, you know, you've been to seminary, you've preached many sermons, you had a concept of suffering. Um, I'd love to know how the Lord has deepened that on on this side of it, Um, because, yes, what we live in a broken world, we've experienced suffering to to various degrees. Uh, Now that you're on this side of this accident, what, what? Has the Lord? How has the Lord nuanced that notion of of suffering and and given you you know deeper understandings of, of what it means to to suffer?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I was speaking to someone just the other day who was telling me about uh, going through the death of their parent and realizing during that i thought i had been a good friend uh, to my friends who had lost a parent and now i realize i i had no concept of what it was mm-hmm. like so there's certainly that aspect you become uh, more empathetic with others when you go through your own suffering one of the things that i am learning is the loneliness that can come for those who suffer so um you know i I, i'm I'm kind of the poster child for good outcomes for amputees Uh, i'm I'm in online forums support forums for amputees and I, i hear the stories of other amputees and many of them have had to deal with things that i have not had to deal with and and there are people whose recovery is much more extended and those sorts of things and i have kind of the best scenario outcome nevertheless there are difficult aspects to being an amputee. And so I experience those to some degree on a daily basis. And, you know, at first I would make comments about that to my family or my coworkers. And then finally you sort of reach a point, you realize, you know, I, I don't want this to be the only thing people think of when they see me, you know, at, at some point, life has to be about other stuff and um, and a sort of loneliness can begin to build um, because other people can't understand when they when they don't experience that. And so I think that has been good for me to know and to experience. Um, hopefully that will make me a better friend and a better pastor uh, to those who suffer is to recognize that there are multiple facets to suffering. And and one of them is a loneliness that can exist.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I guess, you know, I wanted to ask that, but then also get to the other end of the the spectrum. Um, how have your thoughts of, of the new heavens and the new earth, changed. Um, what what have you thought? I mean, you know, I've been through a fairly major surgery. I talk about a decent amount of having, you know, a metal plate put in my spine. I wasn't able to walk for a while. I I couldn't lift over five pounds and, you know, it's made me think of man, what it's going to be like to have a glorified body Uh, that doesn't have to deal with this. So I'd love to hear just some of your thoughts on kind of the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah,
1: man, it has intensified my longing for the last day, uh, the day when Christ will return and um, yeah, made the hope of the resurrection sweeter to me. So in multiple ways, um, you know, already I knew that I was a sinner and um, despised my sin and have been ready to be rid of my sin. I have a whole new uh, level of despising the effects of other sin as well so we are we are sinners and we are sufferers in this life and the hope that's held forth for us in God's word is that uh that that for his people that will end it it will end fully and finally in such a way that the apostle Paul who suffered at a level that I think is much greater than my level of suffering that he was able to call our sufferings in this life like momentary afflictions that's not him making light of them That's him making much of what is to come um, at the resurrection. And and even, uh, you know, when we die, uh, there is much to be gained then as we go immediately to be with our Lord. And we are immediately free of our sin and of our suffering, ours are in his presence. But there's a fullness still to come after that. You know, the saints now who are asleep in Christ cry out how long? Because there is an even greater fullness when they will be reunited to their bodies and their bodies, we may like unto his glorious resurrected body. So yeah, it has strengthened my appreciation for the great beauty that's held forth to us in the hope of the resurrection, but also increased my longing for it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that was such a help to me and continues to be a help to me, um, during my recovery was the hymnody of the church. So there were, uh many nights, most nights in those early weeks um when it was very difficult to sleep. And 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 for many months I would wake up in the early hours of the morning and would have trouble getting back to sleep. And I would put my earbuds in and I would listen to um the recording of the singing. You and I both shared an appreciation for a conference called Together for the Gospel. And I would listen to those um recordings of all those uh, men and pastors singing together hymns and and uh, indelible grace and and uh, we we have wonderful access to the rich hymnody of our faith and the saints who have gone before uh, knew what it is to suffer and they would say things like uh, they would teach us to sing come thou long expected jesus Um, my longing for jesus to return has increased and i have my appreciation for that hymn which gives me words for that longing um has increased as well so yeah my hope in the resurrection has grown much more precious to me and my desire for others to have that hope um has grown more precious as well and Um, You know, as I anticipated our conversation today and thought about what about any of this uh, could be of help to youth workers and to parents um, who have kids who are still in their homes. And one practical thing uh, that I have heard pastors say that I did not entirely understand until now, um, we used to have a more communal life. And one of the things, uh, at least here in the South, that used to be a bigger deal uh, is that we would, we would all do our best to make it to the funeral of someone that we knew. And um, that is less the case than it used to be. And I think it's certainly less the case that we would pull our kids out of school and that sort of thing. But one of the things that happens at a funeral that's well done, if a funeral is held in the context of a worship service is that our children will have shown to them, in a moment of great grief, they see, even if they themselves are not experiencing grief, they see the grief of this family who's lost their loved one. And they see and hear um, the hope uh, of the gospel and the hope of the resurrection proclaimed. One of the things that's become very sweet to me um, in, a, in a traditional funeral service, there are words of committal that are spoken as the body is about to be committed to the ground. and um in the kind of traditional words there we talk about the sure and certain hope of the resurrection on the last day when um the dead shall rise Uh, it's such good words for our kids to hear in their childhood um and and have those seeds planted and so um yeah the resurrection is a big deal um, it's it's not a it's not a throwaway part of our theology that's for sure
0: mm, all right amen to that and uh you, you know again as i said when i first heard you give your testimony i thought okay i would love for you to come on this podcast to share more and, and part of my thinking is just you hear uh those who are youth workers as your parents saying you know an important aspect of discipling our children is to prepare them for suffering um, i've heard people say that as you know, teens have grown up and they uh, go to college, they leave the church. And some people have pointed to the fact that we haven't, you know, taught them uh, to suffer well uh, as, as believers. And so maybe just as we draw this to a close, um, how have you sought to, to disciple your own family in the midst of this? I mean, you've got, again, you've got five children. Tell me the, the ages, the oldest down to the youngest kind of age range and how you sought to try to walk them through this
1: yeah so rachel catherine rk is 19 now she was 18 when the accident occurred she was a freshman in college so she was away and was having to go through this uh from a distance Um, sam is uh, 19 or excuse me he's 18 now he was 17. sophie our younger daughter is 15 and we have a son named noah who's 11 and a son named eli who's nine um Not because I was particularly wise, but one of the best things that um, Jess and I have done to help our kids go through suffering is um, most Lord's Day, we're with the saints gathered for worship. and, And so I mentioned that sense of assurance that I had in the early, early hours after my crash the thing that came along with it was a deep sense of appreciation for the pastors and elders who for 45 years, week in, week out, you know, in the various places where we were members of a church, these men would stand up and they would lead us uh, in singing those great hymns of faith. And they would open God's word for us and they would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. And um, that's, one of the ordinary means, the chief ordinary means that God uses to create faith in us and to nurture our faith. And um, when we suffer, we said so desperately need strength of faith and um, m- much of that will come from what has happened prior to our season of suffering. Um, ha- you know, uh, I-, I love uh, it's, I love what Paul says uh in a couple of places in his letters um he says he actually tells us that we are to address one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our heart to the lord so it is certainly right that we would uh come before the creator of heaven and earth and worship him and, and that's and it's enough if that's all that happens but in his order he has actually called us to address one another while we're worshiping him. And so for years, other Christians, as they were singing, were essentially saying to me and saying to our children, uh, this is truth. Put your hope here. So um, that's probably the best thing that we've done. Helping our kids through suffering is having prepared them for it in advance, not even knowing we were doing that. Mm -hmm. But the other things that we've done is that we've tried to, um, to pay attention to what's going on with each of them. Um, just as Jess and I were walking through this at different paces and responded differently, uh, so are they. And they're not—they're uh, not robots. They're not uh, five little steps or five little Jessicas. Um, they're unique, and and so different aspects of this have been harder or easier for the different kids. And so we have tried to pay attention to what's going on with them, and. Um, Man, oh man, I already knew this, but I have a whole new appreciation for the degree to which I married up. Uh, my okay. wife has served me and served our family so well, especially in those early days. And one of the things that she would do, she was, this was still in the height of COVID. And so normally a spouse would not have been permitted to stay overnight at the hospital, but she was given a special permission. She could stay with me around the clock but she would go home every other day or every third day or something to check on the kids. And she would also tell them how I was doing. And she was honest. She was honest about the facts in an age age appropriate way. Like this is what is happening with daddy. And this is what we don't know. This is what could happen. She was honest also with her feelings. Like this is scary and this is hard. Um, and then also honest about the choices we are going to choose to trust God and to call out to him. And so I think that we serve our children well when we are careful to be honest with them. And that that has to be done uh, with wisdom. There's an age-appropriate way and an age-inappropriate way to do that. But I think we need to be honest not only about the facts, but about our feelings as well. As you were earlier acknowledging We may feel angry at God. We may feel really angry at God. We may feel so sad that we feel as though we're going to be overwhelmed, or we may actually, it can be a normal thing. We may feel indifferent and that may frighten us. Why do I not feel anything? There are a lot of ways that we can respond in the heat of a tragedy. And so being honest about what we're feeling is helpful to our kids. And um, so that was, I think that's one thing that we can do. Another thing that we can do, and I I don't think this is a new thought uh, to folks who have an appreciation for ROIM, but I would just like to affirm the minute, and that is the way we go about our ministry together to our youth should not be a competitor to what we're doing in corporate worship, but should be an extension of it. Hmm. So those ordinary means of grace, the ministry of the word, the right administration of the sacrament, the prayers of God's people, we are wanting to help our youth avail themselves of that in teaching that is age appropriate and activities that help them grow to appreciate uh, the communion of the saints and uh, we're not wanting to be a rival but we're wanting to be um uh, an extension of the teaching ministry of the church and and so that's something that has very you know thankfully been done really well at our church where we are, you and I are Pear Orchard, uh, large, much of that is is uh, because of the work you've done in that ministry. So we're very appreciative of that. Um, and then I think also, uh, I, I hope that we would have the presence of mind to do this. I hope this is the pattern of our homes already, but our kids are helped when we're gentle with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly in a season of suffering to be gentle. One of the things that I've had to pay attention to is the kids have responded in different ways. Um, One of the kids in particular has become really hard on himself. And I think it's because he misunderstands um, what I'm able to do in my recovery. So in God's grace, uh, I'm able to ride again. Um, I'm beginning to be able to run again. And I think sometimes he thinks, well, dad's tough or dad's strong uh, when in fact God is gracious. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I think he feels an undue pressure to be tough and he's become really hard on himself. And so uh, I'm, I'm having to watch for that and and be particularly gentle with him and and help him uh, reason through what what actually is going on and and to put his uh, trust in God rather than his own ability. So those are some things that come to mind in terms of ways that we can help our kids in suffering. Hmm.
0: Step, that, that is so good. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, you didn't know, I was going to say this, but as I emailed step to talk about, you know, coming on the podcast side, there was a reluctance on my part because I feel like, okay, you you talk about this so much. And Step's reply was, I hope I never get tired to talk about God's goodness and the ways in which uh, he's walked you and your family through this. And so just uh, thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your willingness to come on. Uh, I mean, I have been ministered to uh, by this and I know others will. So, um, thank you uh, for coming on Step
1: my pleasure if i could say one last thing as a encouragement um to folks the the yeah as parents we definitely have a responsibility to uh to care for our kids and and to prepare them for suffering and, and help them as they walk through their own suffering but we also as brothers and sisters in christ um if we are united to christ we're also united to one another and one of the things that has most helped our kids in this was the response of pear orchard and and the broader church as well in the way that they have cared for us so on jess's first trip home um to tell the kids the latest with me and to check on them she asked sam um sam had become the contact person for our family how are you doing mom we're we're fine the church immediately called me and said hey where do you and your siblings have to be this week we're going to make sure you have rods and we're bringing you groceries and we're bringing you hot meals at night and we're going to make sure the grass is mown and we're going to get the house clean for you and he said i hope we will be people like that so um yeah, yeah yeah we need to think through how do we do this as parents but how do we do this as one you know for our brother and sister's children as well um you know, at pear orchard when a child is baptized uh it's not only the parents who are involved. But all of us uh, take vows to help those parents raise that kid in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that has been done really well for us. And so I I certainly commend that to the youth workers who have opportunity to hear this.
0: Mm, That's so good. And yeah, just to to echo that and to (laughs) brag on our own church, it it was amazing to to see just the army of people uh, that were coming alongside you guys. And really, I mean, that, that's just, that's the design of the church. That's, uh, you know, God's plan. That's his wisdom being manifested through his people. Um, so again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and uh, to share this with us.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Love you, John. Love RYM and, and, uh, Pear Orchard and, uh, we here at RTS love RYM as well. And, and want to do anything we can to, to help you guys in your ministry. Without money, oh come and feast without. Peace.